Hi-de-ho, campers! I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. This episode, we're taking a deep dive into British TV comedies of 1971. At least, a dive into those comedies that made it onto the big screen. At least, that was the original plan, but one changes one's mind, you know, without rhyme or reason. And now, for something completely different. Director Ian McNaughton, script and actors Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Director of photography David Muir, editor Tom Noble. Music Douglas Gambley. Actors Connie Booth, Carol Cleveland, Neville Chamberlain, Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler, King George VI, Queen Elizabeth II, Richard Nixon, and Fred Wood. This film was intended as an introduction for American audiences to the madness that is Monty Python. Surprisingly, the film did better business in the United Kingdom, who had already seen all these sketches. It is a series of the best skits from the series up to that point. The Inquisition and Sam Peckinpah direct salad days don't make an appearance. Like the series, sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. Formless and structureless, there's no way to coherently review it. The style was a reflection of works of comedians such as Spike Milligan of Goon Show fame. He hated the idea that skits had to end with a joke. He ended his skits when he felt the time had come to end and moved on without wrapping everything up like fish and chips and newspaper. Another influence on the group was the surrealist movement coupled with a post-war angst that everything was questionable, or more importantly, Humanity was in control of nothing. The film was shot between the first and second series of the second season of the series and contained material from both seasons. Funding was obtained from Playboy magazine. Terry Gilliam claims he tried to get Bob Godfrey to help him with the animation sequence. Bob told Terry to bugger off. Then he found out Terry was with Monty Python and climbed on the bandwagon. Editor Tom Noble was born in London, England, in May 1936. After a brief stint in publishing, Tom moved to the Pinewood studio and wafted into the editing department. His first solo assignment was on Francois Truffaut's Fahrenheit 451, 1966. His meeting with director Ted Kotcheff was a turning point in his career as it led to a move to Hollywood and an Oscar. Composer Douglas Gamley was born on September the 13th, 1924, in Melbourne, Australia, and he died in 1998. Douglas studied at the Melbourne Conservatorium of Music. In this period, I believe he came under the spell of composer Modest Mazorki. The influence can be heard in many of Douglas's film scores. His first film score was for Fire Down Below, 1957. A busy fellow... He did arrangements for Richard Boyne, Kiri Ticanawa, Luciano Pavarotti, and Victoria de Los Angeles. He also wrote stock music for the BBC Library. Actor Fred Burn the Witch Wood was born on October 26, 1922, in Rotherhithe, England, and he died 2003. Never an A-lister, the Rectors still loved his cadaverous appearance and used it to full effect. He kept himself so busy with TV appearances that many a Brit-US co-production from the 60s onwards, which is also the time 
horror films discovered his true potential, that his filmography is hard to keep up with. History rolled onward. On. February the 4th, the Rolls-Royce Company went bankrupt. And, because it was a British company that could not fail, it was nationalised. Not off the alone, you'll note. February the 5th, Britain, along with the US, USSR, and other countries, signed the Serbia Treaty. This banned nuclear weapons on the ocean floor. February the 15th, Decimal Day, the UK and Ireland switched to decimal currency. The guinea was decimated. May the 5th, in Belfast, rock group Led Zeppelin debuted their song, Stairway to Heaven. Many a hedgerow starts to bustle. May the 7th, a 47-day postal strike in England ended. Snail mail crawls again. April the 1st, the UK lifted all restrictions on gold ownership. People with gold fillings breathe a sigh of relief. It's back to school now for... Please, sir. Director, Mark Stewart. Script, John Esmond and Bob Larby. Director of Photography, Wilkie Cooper. Editor, Richard Best. Music, Michael Vickers. Actor, John Alderton, Derek Geiler, Noel Howlett, Joan Sanderson, Richard Davies, Eric Chitty, Patsy Rowlands, Carol Hawkins, Norman Bird, Peter Bayliss, and Jack Smethurst. It is popular to bewail these 70s as marking the decline and fall of the British film industry. I prefer to immortalise it as the period when Britain turned its TV gold onto the big screen. I admit this is making a virtue of necessity. At this time, British film was struggling and being inundated with US product with which it could not financially cope. As a consequence, the British industry was trying to maintain a holding pattern while it tried to work out a strategy while also realising it had run out of fuel and was about to crash. Please, Sir was a popular series that ran from 1968 until 1972. Bernard Hedges is an idealistic teacher at a lower-class high school, Ben Street School. The basic format has been taken from To Sir With Love, 1967. All of the sixth form rejects are concentrated in 5C, his class. You'll see this type of setup again in the US TV series Welcome Back, Cotter. In Britain, however, this plays out as scenes from the class struggle. Bernard is incensed to learn 5C is not even being considered for the annual two-week trip to a farm. He argues convincingly that they should go. Off to camp they go, although, as punishment, Bernard is ordered to accompany them. The film then bifurcates between the shenanigans of the teachers, allowed a little freedom from the daily grind, and the war between 5C and the kids from a snooty school, also on the camping trip. 
The film follows the TV format, not much plot, and that barely enough to stretch across the comedy skits. Director Mark Stewart was born on December 10, 1921, in Wellington, New Zealand. Mark is principally remembered for his work on TV shows. In his day, he worked with Tommy Cooper, Tony Hancock, Benny Hill, and Jim Davidson. Director of photography Wilkie Cooper was born on October 19, 1911, in Wandsworth, England, and he died in 2001. Wilkie was the son of silent film director of photography Douglas Cooper. He got his start as a child actor. As an adult, he began his career as camera assistant to Georges Perrinel at Denham Studio. In the 1940s, he was promoted to DOP and was soon working with some of the top British directors. He is best known for his collaborations with special effects technician Ray Harryhausen, although director Richard Lester has given, I think, the best insight into his work. Richard claimed that while shooting Mouse on the Moon, 1963, Wilkie was running a second-hand car business and frequently disappeared from the soundstage to take calls, much to Richard's annoyance. Please, sir, was Wilkie's final picture. Editor Richard Best was born on June the 28th, 1916, in Kingston-upon-Hull, England, and he died in 2004. Best not to dwell on Richard's career due to his comment on 1959's Look Back in Anger. He said, I hated it. I can't bear that left-wing philosophy, and I hated the fact that I had to do it. Didums, Richard. He was taught editing by Merrill White and then co-opted onto David Lean's posse. At Pinewood Studios in 1936, he was part of a team editing Quota Quickies. Almost exactly what you're thinking. In 1942, he started working on feature films. Births this year include... On February the 11th. Damien Lewis, British actor and producer. February the 16th, Amanda Holden, British actor. May the 27th, Paul Bettany, the British actor. May the 3rd, Benedict Wong, British actor. August the 20th, David Williams, British actor, author and comedian. September the 8th, Martin Freeman, British actor. October the 6th, Emily Mortimer, British actor and screenwriter. October the 13th, Sasha Baron Cohen, British actor. I'm not entirely sure that the next film isn't up itself. It's certainly up Pompeii. Director, Bob Kellett. Script, Sid Collin. Director of Photography, Ian Wilson. Editor, Al Jell. Music, Carl Davis. Actors, Frankie Howard, Patrick Cargill, Michael Horden, Barbara Murray, Lance Percival, Adrian Poster, Bernard Breslau, Roy Hudd, Kenneth Cranham, Royce Mills, and David Prowse. Let us begin with... <clears throat> the prologue, as Roman slave Lurkio would say. 
It was inevitable, what with the success of the play and film A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, 1966, that a TV show would take this concept and run with it. Frankie Howard, playing the fourth wall breaking slave Lurkio, turned this show into a hit. Most of the elements of the TV show make it to the big screen, and some of the core cast don't. The show ran from 1969 until 1970, with two TV specials made several years later. We first encounter Lurkio taking a respite from his chores. He's exhausted, poor dear, because his master Ludicrous Sextus is having another orgy tonight, which is just begging for the gag, comedy this morning, but orgy tonight, which is a reference to a song and a funny thing. Having now set the tone of the film suitably low, prophetess Cassandra arrives to intone her tale of woe. Pompeii is about to be destroyed when Vesuvius erupts, she wails. It will be like Gomorrah and Sodom. Yes, all of the degrees, Lurkio. The seal is set on the sinners of Pompeii. Lurkio is not one to set much on his sins. After all, chance would be a fine thing. Luckily, he has a scale model of Pompeii set on a table so he can point out where all the action is occurring. No expense has been spared in the making of this film. I'm sure that was a command of the producers. Make this film at no expense. Yes, this film is Carry On Pompeii, with limp-wristed gags that are comforting for their predictability rather than annoyingly predictable. The plot concerns a conspiracy to assassinate the Emperor Nero. The script neglects to add an ass into the ass in ein mix just to add to the confusion. Lurkio accidentally picks up the paperwork of this plot in mistake for his master's Senate speech. The conspirators want it back, and death to anyone who knows of the plot's existence. The whole conspiracy is burnt to ashes when Vesuvius explodes, which also might be a critical comment on the speech Ludacris gives. This is where the film originally ended. Director Bob Callett was unhappy with this, as he felt it was too bleak for audiences. A scene was added set in modern times, where a museum director who looks exactly like Lurkio adds a postscript. Bob felt this conveyed the impression that Lurkio somehow survived the eruption and had children. The next episode looks at dysfunctional families from the year 1991. Bring plenty of tissue. In the meantime, why not buy an ebook or two from the Movie Chronicles series available from an e-store near you? I need the money. I'm running out of whiskey. Have you seen the price? I might just have to turn to drinking brandy, and you wouldn't want that now, would you? If you would like to support this podcast, consider joining my crowd at Patreon. God knows my man boobs need support. Until next time, when we meet committed to polar bears in a kooky family. Kia kaha.